you know, it wasn't, this is how you should have acted or behaved in the meeting. It was just like, Hey, here's the dynamic in the room. Did you pick up on it? So I was very fortunate to have that type of, of, of mentorship and have it be as, you know, in proximity in that relationship with my father. Welcome to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. In this podcast, Vince Mincione, a proven industry sales and partner executive, brings together technology leaders to discuss transformational trends and to deconstruct successful strategies to thrive and survive in the rapid age of cloud transformation. And now your host, Vince Mincione. Welcome to, or welcome back to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering where technology leaders come to optimize results through successful partnering. I'm Vince Menzion, your host, and my mission is to help leaders like you unlock the leadership principles and learnings of the best in the business to get partnerships right, optimize for success, and deliver your greatest results. In the lead up to Microsoft Inspire, I am so pleased to re-release this interview with Rodney Clark. Rodney is a friend and former colleague And at the time of this interview, he was the corporate vice president for Microsoft's worldwide Internet of Things business. I'm so excited to see Rodney in this role. His prior experience sets him up to address what I believe Microsoft needs most. Its greatest future growth depends on delivering on the promise of partner co-branding, co-marketing, and co-selling. In this far-reaching episode, you'll get a sneak peek into the mind of this new leader, the importance of partner his career journey, and his personal reflections as an African-American leader in this industry. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed listening again to Rodney Clark. Rodney, I'm excited to welcome you to the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. Vince, thanks so much. It is so great to finally be able to sit down and, and connect and talk with you. You know, we've been talking about this for years, haven't we? And I'm excited to have you. We've known each other for several years. We worked together at Microsoft and our paths crossed when you were in the public sector and I was as well. You're the vice president of IoT and mixed reality sales for Microsoft. And I'm so excited to have you as a guest today as partners are so important to your business's success and we're living in such a transformative time. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And I do have to say that uh, anytime I hear someone string IoT and mixed reality together, I get excited about what I do. I'm going to ask you more about that in a moment, but it's an exciting time in your space. I have to preface this by saying, you know, the early days of my career were in the wireless computing space. And so I got to see what I would call a subset of what is today IoT. And it's exciting to see how the world has evolved and the the cloud is playing such an integral role in driving what we're seeing today. So uh, excited to have you and excited for our conversation. Likewise. So can you spend a few moments explaining to our listeners more about the mission of your organization and where it fits in the broader Microsoft? Yeah, the IoT business is a, is a fairly interesting business. It is part technology and part business transformation. The role that we play and the role, I should say, of IoT is really to harness all of the data and information that sits on the edge. This, this notion and concept of the intelligent edge, these connected assets that generate data and information uh, for organizations to, in essence, become more efficient, using that data and information to help them make better, better decisions, to help enable uh, new products, new services, and ultimately 
extend their partnerships. And so we work with a broad ecosystem. In this case, Ben's very appropriate for your audience. We work with a number of partners to help them build their platforms to enable them to leverage all that information coming from the edge that ultimately becomes their intelligent cloud, their platforms that help serve our joint customers and make them more efficient. It's actually very amazing to me because I we, we lived in silos of information for so many years and things didn't operate in real time. What you say is that you're able to take information in real time, digest it, act on it, create direction for an organization, for a user. Uh, there's just so many areas and use case examples we could talk through. Yeah, there, there, there are. And as, as, as the, the hype curve, as they say, around IoT has progressed, we've gone from these things that, that, that are called connected assets, you know, a controller, HMI panel in a manufacturing scenario, uh, PLC switches, even simple point of sale uh, retail stations in, into these connected environments. And so we've taken those endpoint devices and now leveraging them to help make you know, smart retail or to help make smart factories. And it's gone and, and evolved into you know, these broader ecosystems. Hey, how do we make a smart city that's full of these smart factories that have these you know, connected manufacturing environments. And so the maturity of IoT and the evolution of IoT has been amazing because it's happened, it's been around for years, but in the last couple of years, it's really accelerated. You know, you talk about smart cities and we're recording this during, I I call it a time like no other, right? And what's been happening with COVID, how we're dealing and responding to COVID. And you're off of the big Microsoft conference. How is your organization preparing to help other organizations reset to the new normal? And what are some of the messages and big announcements you made at Microsoft Inspire? Yeah, we had a pretty interesting time during COVID, like everyone. When I say we, I'm talking about the industry. And we saw, like all companies, a set of headwinds and tailwinds that, that, that met us as COVID you know, took hold. You know, I started experiencing COVID. I should say, uh, you know, I have to be careful when I say I, but I started to recognize some of this pattern early on because I have a global team, Vince, as you know, and, you know, our customers and partners in China were going through this before we were uh, in the U.S. And so we started to get a sense for how this would impact manufacturing, you know, factories being shut down and ultimately the safeguards that companies were putting in place to help ensure that if there is ever a shutdown or, you know, work stoppage again, that we would be able to use things like automation and robotics to help us get through that. And so, you know, that's one of the things that that we've seen in manufacturing and retail. Obviously, the impact in retail was tremendous. And we started working with partners almost immediately on touchless and contactless solutions instead of that traditional point of sale that I mentioned just a few minutes ago. You know, how do we enable a scenario where a consumer can come in choose a product and transact, but they don't actually have to touch anything. They can use gesture, they can use voice or speech. And then we saw this incredible, incredible transformation in healthcare where the regulatory bodies were approving, you know, IoT projects that were endpoint devices and customer solutions and partner solutions that had been, you know, under review for years, but that were there was a, a you know a path paved in order to 
allow these solutions to come into market so that we can produce more ventilators so that we can do better patient monitoring and ultimately patient tracking for the benefit of healthcare providers and the patients themselves. And so, you know, with COVID, we, we, we've just come out of this with a, a huge focus on, on this notion and concept on, on return to work. You know, as we led into Inspire, you know, stepping outside of just our IoT business, you know, our core message was the amount of progress and the amount of transformation that we've seen in the last couple of months. And our CEO, Sati, is quoted in saying, you know, in earnings reports and other public statements that we've seen, you know, multiple years worth of transformation in just a short amount of time. And that number changes, it's, you know, two years of transformation in two months, it changes to you know, five years of transformation in, in five months. Uh, so it's, it's ever evolving. But we made announcements as well around Dynamics 365 and things like remote assist that have been, you know, super, super critical and helpful for companies as they've, you know, looked at return to work scenarios or managing through COVID. We made some announcements around Microsoft 365 and team support. We made some announcements around sustainability. And of course, we made announcements as, as always to, to support our ongoing investments in Azure and cloud with things like Stack HCI and Power Platform and a number of other tools. So it's been a very, very busy summer for us, of course, with things like Inspire and our internal conference ready on top of it, you know, all of the transformation that's been happening as well. It's an amazing time. And how did it feel delivering this event virtually? It was pretty cool. And when I say that, I really mean it. I didn't mean it when I said it the first time, right? I'm like, cool, because I felt I had to say it that way, because as a company, we've made this very intentional pivot to be virtual. And our event teams, Bob Jean, who leads our event team, had to snap into action pretty quickly. Build was a, a dry run. But Vince, we had over 115,000 participants on last count. And this is data that's probably wow. two weeks old. By comparison, last year in, in the traditional format, face-to-face, -face, we, we had 20,000. We had 75% of our attendees were international attendees. We, we usually hover around 60, 60%. Yeah. The digital breakouts, if you look at the breakouts themselves, as you know, that's a big part of the Inspire experience. And I'll get to the networking in just a second. But we had over 11,000 attendees in the digital breakouts which was pretty cool. That's, that's, by the way, that number is just an Azure number that doesn't count what was happening. The, the first few numbers are, are just overall company-wide, right? And we break right. it down into cloud. We had over 11,000 digital attendees. For IoT session last year, we only touched 1,000 partners, which is limited by room capacity, and about another 600 on digital playback. We had over 4,000 people look at and view our session. So wow. it, it was a pretty, pretty cool experience. And those numbers, uh, you know, I share the data because it's pretty, it's pretty impactful when you look at the reach. Now, I'm missing you. I'm missing the other partners. You know, <laughs> I missed the, I missed the reunions. You know, as much as I, you know, complained about being in Vegas in the middle of the summer and in the heat, there was nothing better than renting all that away with a cold beer at, at 1130 in the evening, right? Absolutely. With a number of friends. So that part you can never replace. But I'm really proud of the company for what, we, what we've what we done. And, and, I, and I'm super proud of our ecosystem for just showing up and representing 
and giving us a signal that, that this was a, a good forum. Yeah, no, I, the feedback has been astounding. And I didn't get the numbers before. So this is really compelling to hear the numbers shared. So it's about a 5x what it would normally be in Las Vegas, which yep. is amazing. Yeah, so just wow, an amazing time as well in terms of COVID. How are you and your team uh, iterating, staying engaged and driving increased impact during this time? I mean, everyone's working remote. And yet at the same time, you're driving acceleration, right? Your, your partners and your customers are probably some of the most active during this time. You talked about telehealth. You talked about manufacturing, retail, other areas that are going through extreme transformation. So how's the team staying engaged? Yeah, you know, I'll answer that on two levels. The first wave of reaction was like every, every company getting used to and adjusted to this new way of connecting. I don't know if you've seen, but the Harvard Business Review put out a set of, of information in a report on how companies are responding to COVID. And within that, there was a segment on how Microsoft analyzed data of our, of our remote workforce. Uh, behind that, uh, and, and prior to that being released, I did a, an assessment through workplace analytics, by the way, just an amazing tool that, that, that most companies have access to. And we leverage that at yep. Microsoft as part of the Microsoft 365, uh, you know, product uh, offering and, and solution offering. But what it told us early on is that we were spending an incredible amount of time internally. You know, when COVID first happened, we actually stopped engaging with partners and customers. Mm. And we turned a big portion of our time to internal meetings. And I think a lot of that was just, you know, all of us looking for, for signals and ways that we could stay connected. What we also saw was that People were, and this is feedback directly, is like people were feeling like maxed out and taxed. And the feedback that we were getting was that they were working longer hours. And what the analytics told us is that they weren't working necessarily longer hours, but they weren't getting those breaks in between meetings, the five minutes that you would take to walk between meetings, which was restorative. But now right. we're in, instead of one hour meetings, we're in these 30 minute meetings and sessions. And you're on your screen all the time, right? So you're you're just you're just glued to that screen as opposed to even disengaging from the screen and looking at a person. Yeah, you know, the the amount of attention that it actually takes to focus on a screen is taxing. Uh, you know, like the, the 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 energy that's required personally, and that's one thing again that didn't come out in a in a workplace analytics study, but that was just like, okay, yeah, I'm staring at a screen all day. I'm actually having to look at like I'm meeting eye to eye with this person on the other side of the screen and I'm totally attentive. Whereas, you know, the typical one hour meeting, there are a number of participants, you know, in this world and day and age of technology, most people are multitasking. I don't know, Vince, you've probably never done email in a meeting. I, never, yeah. <laughs> never texted, emailed, never happened. <laughs> well, in this new environment, as we adjusted, it's kind of like those weren't things that you could necessarily do because you had to pick up on different cues. And, and so when we, you know, when we started looking at how we turn this into our connection to partners, uh, you know, a big part, half of my organization are, are technical architects. And so a, a big part of the work that, that, that has to be done is sitting side by side with the architects and technical folks who are building these IoT solutions either at our partners or at our customers. And so we had to learn new ways to connect and share projects. Uh, we had to learn new ways to communicate 
personally, I did and still do time zone tours. So instead of me flying on planes, I adjust my personal schedule so that I'm up in the Asia time zone meeting with our large customers and partners, you know, for a week at a time. We've had to, you know, those dinners, like we were talking about the Inspire and Ready experience, those those dinners that we would have with with our teams on these trips, like I, I go to, you know, Japan and at the end of a long day of meetings, I get to actually go out and spend some time getting to know my team better. Right. Yeah. We had to institute, you know, coffee chats and happy hour chats. In fact, I just had one this morning with the organization where I, you know, I do time zone based coffee chats where any and everyone can come. There is no agenda. And today we, we talked about vacations that people have taken or not. We talk about, you know, recipes. We, we've had, you know, barbecue lessons on there. And so we've had to just find new and creative ways to stay connected with each other. And that's translated actually into new and different ways to stay connected with our partners. You know, one of the things that strikes me, and I think I shared some of this on my conversation with Lonnie a couple of weeks ago, is just it's okay now for Johnny to come in the room and maybe help him with his homework for a second or give him some direction. And it, you get to know the family so much more, right, than you would normally had had we been in an office in Microsoft or wherever traveling to a partner site. Oh, completely. By the way, you mentioned Lonnie. That was an incredible interview. Uh, Lonnie and I are great friends, uh, and we go back and, and share, uh, you know, many, many stories and experiences. And uh, the two of you had, had just an amazing conversation. And, and you were both right in that. Like, I've met more grandparents, kids. I've met more pets. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's been phenomenal. You know, we personally, and, and again, just this morning, you know, when I say we, my family, I used to think that there were only four corners in, in our house, Vince, until COVID hit. And we all had to figure out ways to work in this environment. And then I'm like, you know, there's actually like eight corners in a square. Like I've found and discovered places in my house I never knew existed before. <laughs> But it still doesn't keep the dog from coming in and making a cameo in the middle of a uh, of a of a conference uh, team call every once in a while. No, and I'm keeping mine quiet right now. But who knows what will happen here in a few minutes? But yeah, I, I agree. And we had we had several adults sharing the house and went through a similar experience. Everybody found their room, and and you'd switch rooms like to give people some diversity. <laughs> like, okay, I've got this bedroom, or I've got the kitchen today. Right? Who's work? Who's working where? That's right. So, you know, I was listening to your presentation or seeing your presentation, and and, uh, I saw that 355 of the Fortune 500 are customers, and you have over 2,400 partners that you work with on a regular basis. What are you seeing some of those customers do, and what are the partners doing now that you didn't expect to see? Yeah, the partners are critical in our business, and I say that every single time that I have an opportunity to say it. The work that we do with our ecosystem to put these solutions and implement these solutions with our customers is just phenomenal. Our partners are engaged in, in, in upwards of 90% of our IoT, can, you know, our IoT projects, and, and, and this, is, this is key and critical for us. The one thing that's different over the last four months, there are two things really that I'll talk about. There are many things that are, that are unique and different, but there are two that are worth mentioning. One is, you know, our customers are asking for for help. You know, where we would where we would have these these elongated POCs, where they would go through a process, a pre POC proof of concept, excuse me, where we'd go through these these projects 
and milestones to prove out the validity of a solution and whether or not it was going to drive efficiency. We have customers that are saying, we need this now. We need to be able to employ a worker safety solution now. We need to be able to deploy a lighting solution now. We need to know today how many people are coming in and out of our store between 10.30 in the morning and one o'clock in the afternoon. And so there's a lot more urgency on behalf of our customers because many are saying, hey, we never want to be in a situation again where we don't have the right set of data and information. Our partners are in the thing that's that's unique and, and, and different. While we've always had partner to partner in IoT, our partners are working together now more than ever before. Because in any specific customer uh, scenario, any specific IoT deployment or project, it usually is a combination of legacy systems. You've got, you know, a company that managed, you know, a portion of the data estate. You've got another company that might be the device partner. And so by by nature, these engagements are, are, are multi-partner. We're seeing partners come together proactively, share their leads with each other, and ultimately respond to this customer request of acceleration. I'm hoping that that this is a new norm for how we partner and how we engage in a in, in a space like IoT that brings an incredible amount of business value because it, it is working right now and we're delivering you know value and efficiency and results to to, to customers uh, at a faster pace as a result. I'm excited when you say that partners are relying on other partners. This partner to partner play and you know, it's so critical. I've, I've said as well that partners are critical to the success and leading through this uncertain or this transformational time. You're seeing these partners working together. A lot of these organizations are not traditional partners, right? Some of the organizations that are developing IoT technologies were not the traditional partners you and I saw 10 or 15 years ago. So can you tell us a little bit about how those organizations embrace partnership since they don't necessarily come from that background? Yeah, it's amazing because we tend to label, we, we have to label everything. Like, you know, if Microsoft is, is famous for, for one thing internally, it's like our segmentation work, right? Yep. You know, we've got customers that we call strategic, they're corporate, they're SMC. We've got partners and, and, and we delineate them or we did traditionally by calling them OEMs, by calling them SIs, by calling them ISVs. The reality is that our partner types are just blended in, in IoT. You have, you know, a company like Siemens. It's like, is Siemens an, an OEM? Yes, because they build devices. They, they, they create and build sensor level technologies. They make, you know, great manufacturing hardware and, and solutions. They also have incredible cloud expertise and, and architects that are building platforms like Mindsphere. So Siemens is also an ISV. They don't fit into any one of those you know, definitions that we had used as a legacy to purely, you know, define them as uh, an OEM or an ISV, they just build IoT solutions that are edge to cloud that have value at the customer. And we've got many of our partners like that. I was on with Iconics, another one of our partners yesterday. I can think of PTC. I can think of Mariner. Hey, you, you name it. Vince. These partners not only are like, OEMs and ISVs, they're SIs as well now. They are, you know, what we call aggregators as well. PTC brings as many partners 
onto their ThingWorks platform and into their ThingWorks ecosystem as we do into our Microsoft ecosystem. And so I'm relying on PTC for a level of scale that I hadn't traditionally. You know, traditionally, I would just say, hey, we want to work with you to build, to have ThingWorks be on on Azure. So your platform on top of our platform. But now I'm saying, hey, PTC, I, I need you to go and find those five or six additional partners that are working with Roach out of Europe and court them onto your platform. And together we can build, you know, a broader Azure ecosystem. So that's a very different way that we're working with partners today. You know, I spent a, quite a bit of time coaching organizations, leaders on what makes great partnerships. And what you're saying is fascinating because what you're saying is that, uh, there's a whole group of partners that are embracing the partner model in a new and different way. Are there any specific characteristics that you're seeing from some of these partnerships that you just mentioned? Like, is there a characteristic or a set of characteristics that you believe have made these partnerships successful? Yeah. And I, I talk about this quite a bit. There's a few things that make these companies successful. The first two or three, of course, and then I'll get to a few that 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 perhaps, you know, in this in this age of transformation that, that partners really have to think through. But the first that always comes to mind is a, is a great company, not just a partner. These are companies that have profit and loss responsibilities. They have to know the value that they bring the customers. They have to know their sweet spot. You can't be all things in the auto industry if, if you've forever and always built something in manufacturing, right? Mm. And that's part of knowing the value that, the, that you bring to, to, to customers. They have to know what drives their P&L because, because our business, IoT, is all about transformation. And in many ways, this push that we're in in intelligent cloud is about transformation. You know, many of our companies uh, have had to think about how they adjust their P&Ls. And, and I mentioned PTC earlier. It's a great example. Jim Heppelman is the CEO of PTC, talks a lot about how they went from and had to go from a packaged good company to a cloud company and ultimately what that did to their balance sheet. And you can see a dip in their balance sheet as they were making statements to their shareholders on this transition and their transformation of of selling a box of goods for you know a thousand dollars, probably nine hundred and ninety nine dollars because that seems to be a more attractive price point. <laughs> but the hit that they took and sustained only to come out of it better on the other side when they went to you know a p and l that was recognizing annuity revenue. So that's right. key, right? So a company has to know that. They have to have a, a people plan. In this day and age, and you've heard our, our, our company executives talk about tech intensity and the fact that we have companies that were not traditionally software companies, companies that weren't traditionally cloud companies, that all of a sudden they are. And it's creating a shortage of, of architects, of, of engineers in the field and so these companies, especially these that are smaller companies that are lifestyle, they have to have a strategy around how they continue to retain their talent, how they, how they recruit talent to help make them better, to help make them viable in this next phase. And so the, the people strategy has got to be a big part of every company's strategy. And, it's gotta, and, and it is a component of what makes the partners that we work with great. There's one last one, and I, and I promised you that I wouldn't get too deep and too technical, but there has to be a strategy around, around architecture 
and ultimately how, from a technical standpoint, these companies can leverage all of the great legacy, for lack of a better term, you know, software and work and architecture that they've built for years and how they integrate the new cloud platforms instead of capabilities that, that Azure brings. Like the, so you have to have a strategy around your own internal technology and use of it. And that has to then connect to how you incorporate that into the platforms that you're building that'll serve customers. So, you know, a little long on that, but those are four points, if anyone's counting, that in my opinion, make a great company and ultimately for us, a great partner. I want to make sure I got all four. One was around the commitment to the P&L, right? You're going to be shifting your P&L. You're going to make, make a commitment that might hurt over quarters or maybe even years in terms of revenue. You've got a commitment to people. You've got, you've got to look at people a different way. You've got to be able to recruit great talent. The technology also, you need to embrace the technology, I thought I heard. And what was the fourth one? Around the really understanding the value that, that you bring um, to customers. Okay. What your value proposition is. Yeah. I call, yep. I call that maniacal focus, right? Being known for that yep. one thing, like, especially when you're working with a Microsoft teams or teams or field organizations, like what's the one thing, what's the successful outcome that you help customers derive and why yep. should a Microsoft seller work with you? Exactly. So that's, that's really great. So Rodney, I'm going to shift gears here now, as you might know, I'm fascinated by the personal and professional journey and how people got to a particular spot in life. And some of this grew out of some of the work I did in career growth and working with early and career professionals. But I'm interested in learning and for our listeners to learn, how did you get to this spot in your life as a vice president of an extensive and significant organization at Microsoft? And as an African-American male, could you take our listeners through your journey? Yeah, I'm happy to do that. And I, and I, and I would say that as I, as I do this, Vince, I'm always more comfortable talking about the business and the value that it brings and why we should all be focused on that than I am about myself. And so I appreciate you asking. And at the same time, I know how important it is for people to dig in and understand you know, personal journeys because there might be one person listening out there that, that this helps. And so I'll slow down and, and try to get comfortable talking about me for just a second. So thanks, thanks for asking. <laughs> you know, I, I guess, you know, I'll, I'll do this in chunks. I've been at Microsoft for, for 22 years. It's just hard to imagine. I, you know, I'm almost fossilized. I've been here for so long. <laughs> but I've worked for two companies my entire life beyond college jobs and things like that. But I started as a professional at IBM. And that was awesome as well. But I also grew up in an IBM family. My father, by the time he retired from the company, had 42 years. My mom worked at IBM. My stepmother worked at IBM, uh, all in different capacities. Uh, so I knew a little bit about corporate life, but I vowed to never, ever work for IBM because I grew up, you know, with like their parties. There's all these IBM people over. It's probably how my kids feel about Microsoft right now. So I think about it. But, you know, the thing that at that time, I was maniacally focused uh, on being uh, an ice hockey player. That was ultimately, you know, as a kid growing up in the era that I did and in the area that I did, which is a San Francisco Bay Area, not a hotbed for hockey, but more of the era, you know, sports and even today for kids like that is a huge fascination with being a professional athlete. And that's what I wanted to be. And I had vowed never to go into technology at all. And when I 
got through college, there was just an internship that was available at IBM. I'll share this story with you because it's it's, it's pretty funny. The, the, the way I found out about the internship, Vince, is that I was going to school. I was playing on a semi-pro hockey team in Fresno, California. I had run out of money. I didn't get paid a lot. When I say semi-pro, it was probably more for, for beer and burritos on the weekend was my pay <laughs> as opposed to like a lavish lifestyle, right? But I was also going to school and I had to call home. Uh, I was living in an apartment with a roommate and I was short on rent. I had to call home and ask my dad for rent money. Oh boy. And, and yeah, we, you've been here. I know we've all, <laughs> sure we've all got some story like this. And, and he's like, Hey, you know, son, get a job, you know, like, Hey, I'll, you know, he ultimately sent me the money, but he's like, get a job. So I'm like, look, I've got a plan. I actually am just going to go apply at IBM. And I know that they won't know who I am. I'm not connected, you know, to like, there was no knowledge that like that I was, that I was Bill Clark's son, but I know it will get back to him. If I, when, when I don't get the job, it will get back to him that I didn't get the job. Therefore, he will send me all the rent money because he knows that I put in an effort and it was at IBM, right? And you'll be off well, the hook at that point. Yeah, I'd be, I'd totally be off the hook. Well, I'll, I'll be darned if I didn't get the job offer, right? <laughs> That's because you weren't trying. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the coolest thing because it started, you know, it opened up my eyes actually to this world of technology. And in that, in that job, which was just a summer intern, a paid summer internship, like it exposed me to uh, a world of technology that I had never seen before. And I just got fascinated with devices and technology to the point where every role that I've had, I'm sales and marketing, you know, major, and that's my college degrees, but I've always been fascinated with technology. I've run and managed technical teams within Microsoft. I've managed biz dev teams and environments, but I've always gravitated towards kind of startup tech or turnaround tech. And this and this job that I'm in and uh, for IoT today is all about a startup business. You know, how do we grow and accelerate a multi-billion dollar business for Microsoft? And so, you know, that journey and passion started a long time ago, very unintentionally, but it always, it hasn't always been a, you know, in an, an easy road in, you know, being an African-American in, you know, a predominantly, you know, white male industry. Yeah. It, you, you, you bring up a really good point. And I, I did want to, I did want to kind of spend a second here about leading technical teams and not having, you know, kind of the technical chops or background. How, how did you do that? Yeah, I have this, this passion for, for just learning and, and putting myself in uncomfortable situations. And goodness, I've done it several times in my career. There was a period of time where my career journey at Microsoft was all about going to leaders in the company, asking them or sharing my career plan with them, asking if they would take a bet on me, I needed to get, in my opinion, and based on some mentoring that I had gotten early in my career, I needed to be in technical businesses and I needed to see what it was like to have a product go from, you know, back burner and conception all the way to a store shelf, for lack of a better term. And I needed to run a P&L and understand the financial aspects of the business. I needed international experience. And so there was a period of my time at Microsoft early in my career where I just went around and, and asked people if they would, if they would take a bet on me, Vince, like, 
hey, I've never run a technical business before, but this thing that you have, this role that you have called a PUM, you know, product unit manager at the time, sounds pretty interesting. And while it's leading a team of engineers, I think the output that you want is just someone that can process manage milestones so that the project is in on time, right? And so that's where my salesmanship would kick in, right? <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. So I literally had leaders and, and one was uh, Lisa Brummel, who was running our home and retail division at the time. It was called home and retail. She went on to be the lead HR uh, executive for Microsoft in, in another role beyond that. But she took a chance on me, as did a number of, of, of leaders in the business. I'm forever grateful for it um, and allowed me to, 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 to run and manage an engineering team. And what I learned is that, you know, while I'm not an engineer, nor did I sleep at a Holiday Inn last night. Sorry, that's a terrible, terrible way to throw in a bad <laughs> joke. But that I found and, and figured out a way to translate what the market needed into ultimately what engineers care about, which is building a great product. And over the course of my career at Microsoft, and even today, the role that I have has a day-to-day -day relationship and connection to many of our engineering leaders. And while you know I, I can't get in and write code, I'm able to at least articulate and translate the needs of the market in a way that that allows them to write better code and build better product. And it comes across loud and clear. Like you have the sales and marketing chops, but I I feel in some respects you're like an integrator. Like you you can pull through the technology in that conversation and you do that in a really great way. Yeah, thank you. So you talked about Lisa Brummel and I remember Lisa when I was at Microsoft. Was there another role model or other role models that gave you great advice? Yeah, there've been so many, you know, if I if I if I step out of of Microsoft for a second, you know, you know, it starts with with, you know, mom and dad very it w be it intentional or or not. Uh, as well as my stepmom, who I mentioned earlier, and Vince, I know you're you're very much a family person as well. Family means the world to you, and most of our lessons from the time that we're young, even through adulthood, come from there, right? Absolutely. And you know, I was fortunate to have uh, a father who was in in a corporate executive function that I was able to learn a few lessons about what I would expect being a black executive coming up in technology and in a corporate environment that helped tremendously. There was one instance where the two of us were actually, uh, and he's since passed, uh, but there were, you know, we were, we were at IBM working at the same time and we found ourselves in the same meeting, which was probably, it was a pretty cool moment for me, but it had to be a very proud moment for him. Absolutely. And we talked about that meeting and the framing that, that he used was all coaching to me, right? It was like, hey, this is you know, it wasn't, this is how you should have acted or behaved in a meeting. It was just like, hey, here's the dynamic in the room. Did you pick up on it? So I was very fortunate to have that type of, of, of mentorship and have it be as, you know, in proximity, you know, in that relationship with my father. There's another person, uh, this gentleman who's also an IBM executive named Dindo Rivera. And uh, I haven't spoken to Dindo in, in at least a year, but we, we, we try to stay in contact, if not minimally by email. But what Dindo taught me early on was a lesson on balance. You know, as we're growing in our careers, we, we don't typically get the lesson on balance. And when I say balance, I mean like work-life balance. Uh, Dindo was a rising executive in IBM, and he made a decision to slow his career so that his son, Jacob, would have 
an incredible upbringing and a great environment and stability. And that meant that Dean Dale had to pass up certain roles and responsibilities. And I remember, you know, being a, you know, late 20 something, uh, maybe mid 20 something at that point, you know, impressionable sales rep growing into a sales manager and Dingdo sitting down and talking to me about at some time, at some point, Rodney, you're going to have to make a sacrifice like this. Beyond all the business lessons, Vince, that, that I've gotten over time on how to prepare for an executive conversation with a Satya or a Steve Ballmer, beyond the here's how you, you know, pitch, you know, the, a great deal for the next big win, like that lesson from Dindo has been lasting. And it's one wow. that I try to impart on, on people that I work with. And as hard as I work and as hard as you work, and as much as I am family dialed as you are, it, I always have that balance in mind. I can always get better at it, but you know, his lessons and his actions are with me all the time. What great role models. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and I love hearing the story about your dad as well and how he was sort of a trailblazer for you and getting to be in the room with your son. I know that firsthand and working in technology and having my son work in technology as well. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's great as a father. It's just a great experience. I, I can't put it to words. It's so unique. Yep. So we are recording this interview in August of 2020. I can't believe we're already halfway through it's the amazing. month. Like, <laughs> it is crazy, right? And I call this Microsoft summer too, because you know this is a crazy time of year. You and I talked a little bit about taking a little vacation time and you're going to go into the end of Q1 before you know it, right? It's already, yep. it's already the end of Q1. But so much has happened in the world and in the United States. And you and I have had a conversation about you know how everyone is dealing through what we're seeing in the world, both with COVID and also since George Floyd, uh, yep. these last several months, there's been you know an outreach. I know I've checked in with a lot of my friends who are Black, African-American, and first want to check in with you on how you're feeling at this time. Yeah, you know, I've, I've gone through, you know, a period of exhaustion, for lack of a better term, and, and I don't use that term often. I'm pretty as you know, I mean, what you see is what you get. I'm pretty, pretty high energy typically, but I have to say it was exhausting those few weeks after George Floyd. And as, as we saw in the United States, the, the unrest that followed. The reason it was exhausting is because this is something that, that Black African-American community has experienced for years. We were talking, you're talking about your son earlier. I have a, uh, my son is 21 years old and he is uh, a fairly prolific writer. And he had written a, here's how I feel immediately after the George Floyd thing. And, and he captured my feeling as well, so well, which he said, hey, the first time that, you know, he's like, this happens all the time. And it has happened to us where we've been marginalized as a, as a race and as a community for so long. He's like, the first time I saw it happen, in his words, like, I wanted to throw hands, you know, which is like, I wanted to fight somebody. Yeah. I cried. And then I sprung into action. He's mm. like, the second time it happened, I just cried. The last time it happened or the third time it happened, I got numb and I didn't do anything. And so this whole, you know, this whole point was like, it happened so often that we're, we're just kind of numb to it. And, and now that the world is in the U.S. is kind of waking up to this issue that we have, he was kind of questioning, like, what do I do now? And how do I activate? Because I've seen this so many times, right? Yep. And so for me, as, as, as I read his words, I'm like, you know what? You know, I, I am exhausted. But immediately that turned into, you know, where, what is my role? 
and I've always played an active role in, in, in helping, you know, people become allies and helping people better understand that they're going to make mistakes when you're addressing issues like this and helping people, you know, get through and find the right tools to, to manage beyond it. The exhausting part was in many cases, you know, I had to retell stories so that people could understand and it's secondary trauma, right? Like you go yeah. through an experience and I have many times even microaggressions in the office to outright racism in my own community directed at me or a member of my family. And to have to retell that was exhausting, right? Emotionally. Uh, it must be yeah. emotionally exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. But the energizing part was that so many people were, were reaching out and asking, you know, what can I do? And, and we got to a point where, you know, I stopped telling people, I started telling people, don't ask what you can do anymore. Just go mm -hmm. do it. Go be, go be the change. We know what we need to do. We know what our communities need to look like. We know the work that we need to do around inclusion inside. It's no longer just a, what can we do? It's like, just, just be. Just be the change that we want to see. And so, you know, uh, long answer to your question, Vince, because there's a lot to, you know, there's a lot there. But, you know, the emotion and the exhaustion in that initial day or so turned into, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here to help as many people as I can that want to contribute to helping make our communities better, to helping, you know, get to a point where we're not marginalizing you know, any race or any group. I think you you unpacked quite a bit here, Rodney. And one of the things I picked up on as a as an ally or somebody who wants to be an ally is to just be and to do and be the change. I, I think back to Mahatma Gandhi's. Uh, I think it's quoted to Mahatma Gandhi: "Be the change you wish to see in the world." That's right. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. I don't profess to be as prophetic as Gandhi, but but at the same time, you know, that it's just a simple framework. It's like you know, for me, it's. You ask what you can do, and it's like, of course, we, we're going to do a lot. Just be just be the difference. Be the change. You know, I've remarked on this. I think in my conversation with Lonnie, I mentioned this, but I believe that we in the tech community have both an opportunity and an obligation here, right? Because we're driving the transformation in so many ways, and we have so many great leaders in tech like Satya Nadella. and. Yeah. You know, we talked a little bit on, on that episode about his commitment. What do you see here happening? Where do you see the change and what are you doing to help drive the change through Satya's commitments? Yeah, you know, Satya has, has committed to more than, you know, one and a half million dollars of, of, of donations to, and we'll match that to things like, you know, the Justice League. And, and, and we've made a commitment to accelerate the number of African-American and, and Black employees at all levels. And and those are things that I'm so proud of of the work that that we've done there, Vince. When you look at things, we were talking about COVID earlier. You look at our response to COVID and where we leaned in to help. You look at the company's response to homelessness situation in Seattle, uh, yeah. which is a big issue. And you look at how the executive team and the senior leadership team jumped in to help. You look at the response to, you know, current unrest and civil situation and the speed at which the company came in to say, this is what we are going to do. You look at things like sustainability, like we are, we are living the talk, you know, we are, we are walking the talk. And my, my hope is that in the spirit of what Microsoft is doing, that it encourages more partner organizations based on the resources that, that they all have to drive similar actions for your companies, to provide similar opportunities for your employees, 
to make, you know, similar or equal contributions in the communities that you live in. You know, that's that's where I look at, you know, if Microsoft can do it, we're we're extremely hopeful that our broader ecosystem that we rely on in the day-to-day business also mirrors the commitment around these things as well. And we've even made investments and commitments in our ecosystem to drive up representation as well. And that's, you know, very well public in terms of the efforts. So just, you know, just really proud of the work we're doing. We have a long way to go. My role in this is multifaceted, but there's one thing that I try and make sure that I communicate beyond the representation, beyond the recruitment, growth, professional growth for African-American Blacks, for Hispanic, Latinx, for other communities that are marginalized within the you know various countries around the world, representation means not only increasing the numbers, but it's who gets the action item at the end of a meeting. It's not just who gets to talk in the in the middle of a meeting. That's a great definition of inclusion. But careers in either partner organizations or companies like Microsoft are made based on people's ability to collaborate and work well with others, to leverage other people's ideas, in addition to delivering on the results, right? And so we need to be giving more opportunities for folks that fall into the definitions that I just mentioned earlier to shine. And that's on every single manager to ensure that you know, the key projects, the key V team leads, the key opportunities to grow and accelerate based on the assignment of those things are equally distributed. So it doesn't stop at just hiring. It doesn't stop at just retaining Rodney, who's been here for 22 years. It starts with giving folks like myself and Lonnie and, and other employees that, that may be early in career that opportunity to showcase their capability. Showcase their capability and be trailblazers. I think that's how I would say it, right? Your dad was a trailblazer to you. You have an opportunity to be a trailblazer to so many more. Yeah, absolutely. Really insightful comments you you made here, Rodney. And I I appreciate you being vulnerable, opening up to this conversation. Um, It's certainly not the type of conversation we would typically have, but I think it's so important right now. And I appreciate you uh, being just, you know, uh, sharing that, your thoughts here. Hey, Vince, one other thing is you, as, as I was thinking as you were talking, you know, it is August 2020, and we just had a fairly significant event two days ago. And the fact that Joe Biden has chosen Kamala Harris as his running mate. And I was thinking <laughs> about, about this uh, female of Jamaican and African descent, as well as Indian yep. descent. It was 55 years ago that we had voters' rights passed, right? That's right. And we've endured years of not only racial injustice, but marginalization as a community and also of black women. Uh, and so this is like, you know, the timing of this and, and the topic of this, like this is a, another moment, an incredible moment in history, you know, without getting into politics. Uh, I just hope that people slow down and recognize that this is an incredible moment in history. And, and given everything and the conversations around, you know, racial injustice, Black Lives Matter movement and others that we take time to recognize where we are in that time in history as well and what comes out of it as a result of, you know, young girls that have similar backgrounds to, to Kamala can now look up to as well. Right. Yeah. R- role models. Right. Yeah. And I, yeah. you know, th- I try not to be political and make political statements here, but yeah, I felt the same way about just that 
pivotal point in time that we reached two days ago. And to your yeah. point, Kamala was born when the Civil Rights Act was passed, I believe, right? She's 55 right. years old. So right That's around right. the anniversary. Yep. Yeah. So we are making progress. We're just not where we need to be at this point. Yep. Yep. So this has been a great conversation. Typically, I would ask you questions about books you've read and quotes you live your life by. But I think you've said so many great things here, Rodney, about how to live a, a life well lived, I guess is what I would say. And I want to thank you for your time. I know how compressed your schedule is. I know you've wedged this into Microsoft summer and some vacation time. But for our listeners, do you have any closing thoughts or remarks you want to share before we go? Yeah. First, Vince, I, I will say thank you to you. This has been awesome. And I love the, the the format and the amount of time that we're able to dig into the topics and the issues. You know, we're all on a learning journey. And I think the, the, the spirit of today is that we should remain on that learning journey, be it in the businesses that we run, the technologies that we leverage and use, or how to make our communities better. We should just stay on that on that learning journey and a message to uh, the partners out there is as you know as a, as a Microsoft executive, uh, you know I'm here to do, and I know I speak for every one of us at, at Microsoft. We're here to do whatever we can to help make you successful. That's why we're in this business. It's so little, and it's so less about our own revenue goals, and it's more about how we're enabling your growth and success. And that gets lost from time to time. And I just want to make sure that that your audience knows and understand that our success is a hundred percent dependent on and focused on 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 your success as well. So Vince, that's uh, I'll leave it and, and and close on that and and just wish everyone great a great summer. Thank you, Rodney. And if our partners want to engage with you and your team, how's the best way for them to reach out? Always send me an email directly, by the way, rodneyc at microsoft.com. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, much easier to find on LinkedIn than it is to find me on my Microsoft alias. And we'll get you to to the right team and, uh, and people. Rodney, so great to have you as a guest. This lived up to my expectations, actually beyond my expectations for our interview today. Thank you for, for being a guest on the Ultimate Guide to Partnering. Awesome, Vince. Thank you for having me. As with each of my episodes, I appreciate your support. Please subscribe on your favorite platform, like, comment, tell your friends about Ultimate Guide to Partnering and where they can find us. And I'd love your feedback. Please like the podcast and provide comments or reach out to me at Vince Menzion on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can also like and follow Ultimate Guide to Partnering on our Facebook page or drop me a line at vincem at ultimate-partnerships.com. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Ultimate Partnerships. Ultimate Partnerships helps you get the most results from your partnerships. Get partnerships right, optimize for success, deliver results. For more information, go to ultimate-partnerships.com. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Ultimate Guide to Partnering with your host, Vince Minzione. Online at ultimateguidetopartnering.com and facebook.com slash ultimateguidetopartnering. We'll catch you next time on The Ultimate Guide to Partnering.